the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we gather here this morning in the name of Jesus, and we make an act of faith that you are here with us in a special way. We believe that you have been revealing yourself to us, especially yesterday and last night and this morning as we've continued with this retreat. You've been speaking to our hearts, touching our hearts, reminding us of who we are, reminding us of who you are and restoring the image that we have of you and of ourselves giving us greater awareness of your love, of your presence, of our true identity, of what really defines us, of who we are, and of who you have called us to be. We pray for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit to come upon us today so that we can continue to receive this revelation and respond in faith and hope and love and gratitude. Jesus, you said it. Without you, we can do nothing. We can't pray. We can't focus. We can't remember. We can't get in touch with our hearts and minds and bodies without your help. We certainly can't heal ourselves. We can't define ourselves, though we try sometimes. So Lord, please forgive us for our ungodly self-sufficiency and self-reliance and help us to trust in you more today, to surrender all of our concerns, all of our worries, Help us to put them all in your hands and in your heart, knowing that you want to take care of it all for us, but that you especially want to take care of us and bless us while we have this time of retreat with you. Mother Mary, we crown you the queen of our meditation here this morning on presence and ask you who are full of grace, who are full of grace, who are now in the presence of God in heaven forever, help us to be aware of his presence in our lives as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, good morning. Here we are. Day two. And just to perhaps help with expectations or adjustments... Let's face it, we all slept in a very strange bed last night. 
right? Mine seemed to be extra small twin. I don't know. Not just my feet, but my calves were hanging over the end of the bed, you know? So I had to curl up in the fetal position and steal kind of pillows from, you know, the lounge and try to figure out how to not fall off the bed last night. So... You know, don't be surprised if you're a little tired or a little anxious, you know. So just be aware of that. It's good to be aware of it. Don't try to deny it. Don't try to repress it. But just acknowledge it. And try to be kind and gentle to yourself. One of the great things that uh, this whole process of intimacy with God is, is good for is we learn to be kinder and gentler to ourselves because we're actually more present not only to God but to ourselves. So we're going to look at the Samaritan woman to help us this morning. For those of you who have seen the Chosen series and the Samaritan woman, it's such a a touching scene, that that last episode of season one where Jesus meets her at the well. And, you know, I think the writers did a great job of filling in some of the, the details for us. Think it's an accident that I just showed up here in the middle of the day? Are you kidding? I came here for you. So let's let's read the word of God with some of those images to help us contemplate this scene. So John chapter 4. Now when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. Not that he really had to, right? But he chose to. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, And so Jesus, wearied as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So I certainly don't profess to be an Old Testament scholar by any stretch of the imagination. But if we were first century Jews reading this description, the fact that there was a man going to a well would have called to mind several instances throughout salvation history where a man met a woman at a well. It was a common theme throughout the Old Testament where a man would meet a woman at a well and fall in love or take her to himself. So that's what we should be thinking right now. Oh, here's a man going to a well. Who's the woman going to be? There came a woman of Samaria. Whoa. John doesn't keep us in suspense. He's going right. He's like, because in case you were like doubting that intuition as a first century Jew, like, am I on the right track here? John immediately 
affirming your intuition. Yes, there's a woman of Samaria. <gasps> Samaria, oh my gosh. To draw water, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. This you said truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus, so she's trying to make excuses for herself. Right? You kind of pick that up in The Chosen. I think they depict that well. And how often we all do that. Right? We make excuses. We, we disqualify ourselves. And then we also try to blame others in the process. So you see what's going on here? Jesus said to her, woman, you know, woman, wake up. You know, <laughs> believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So notice, too, how they were talking about two different buildings or places, physical places, the mountain, the temple. And Jesus is insisting on the worship of the heart, that all of us are, are now temples of God. We can worship God wherever we may be. Because we are holy. God is making us holy. We just listened to the song, holy, holy, holy. Yesterday we emphasized the fact that it's God who justifies us. That it's God who makes us holy. It's God who sanctifies us through his action. And what is our response to that? Faith. And as we were encouraged during our breakfast conference, you have to choose to believe that. 
over your feelings, over what other people think about you. You have to choose to believe. And admittedly, we all have faith that we wish was stronger. So, okay, Lord, I believe. Increase my faith. Lord, help my unbelief. I can remember as a seminarian, I was very insistent about asking God to increase my faith. And we had this number in our constitution. So I would, I would and, I, and I had to memorize it as a second year brother. So I, I prayed, you know, Lord, grant me the grace of a living, active, luminous faith that will help me to faithfully, fervently persevere until I die amid the difficulties and distractions that the faithful fulfillment of your will is going to demand of me. So, you know, put some meat on those bones of your faith, right? God, grant me the grace of a living, active, luminous faith. Give me, give me eyes. Give me your vision. Help me to see. And that's all the grace, right? We talked about grace a lot yesterday, too. God's power and presence. Christianity is a religion of grace. Because without it, we can do nothing. We can do nothing good. Nothing that is worthwhile or lasting without grace. And I think sometimes we forget that. So, Lord, I believe. Increase my faith. Okay, Jesus goes on here. Uh, the woman goes on first. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will show us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but none said, what do you wish? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the city and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the city and were coming to him. So she was excited to meet the Christ, that Jesus would go out of his way to meet her. Because that's exactly what happened. Jesus didn't do anything that was not intentional. He was very intentional, especially when he would start talking to people like this. So Jesus will be very intentional with you. He'll be gentle. He'll be gentle. But he's going to be very intentional. He wants to be helpful. He wants to heal. This woman obviously needed some healing. So he didn't want to waste any time. And God doesn't want to waste time with us. I mean, he wants to develop trust, and, and you may need to, to work on that. Maybe that's what these days are all about, just simply gaining greater confidence in God so that you can start to have these conversations with the Lord in your prayer. 
I was, I don't know if, I know I've showed this to some of you, but renewing the fire of Pentecost by a legionary who's older than I am, <laughs> Joseph Bertka. Some of you may know his mom. He's from Bloomfield Hills. So he wrote this book. Uh, if you've, I think most of you have done Father Gately's 33 Days to Morning Glory. So this is a book in that vein. It's a, it's a 50-day, because of Pentecost, it's a 50-day devotional. So there's 50 little chapters to read about the Spirit, to pray about the Spirit. And today I'm on day 23. The Spirit hovered over the waters, so very appropriate for creation. In the beginning, we didn't read this yesterday, so we'll, we'll read it right now. When God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while the Spirit of God swept over the face of the waters. And this was, this was news to me here. Uh, so the first verses of Genesis were written to address this defeated, depressed people. So it was written what they call the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, really weren't written down until 587 B.C., during the Babylonian exile. So when the Jews were taken off to Babylon, and it says here, they could not understand what had happened. They could not comprehend God's silence, his utter indifference to their plight. Their city was destroyed their temple in ruins, their nation conquered. It seemed that God had abandoned them. They were in the deepest despair. I mean, we can, our minds immediately go to the Ukraine right now, right? Those poor people. And I'm sure they're having a lot of these same sentiments. But here's the rub. By speaking of chaos, emptiness, darkness, and unfathomable murky waters, they, the authors of the Pentateuch, attempted to mirror the deflated attitude of the forlorn exiles, thus seeing themselves reflected in that hostile and hopeless pre-creation disarray and contemplating the marvels God was able to bring forth from it, they would be able to rekindle their hope that God would once again intervene and recreate his people. Yesterday we talked about Jesus making all things new recreating us recreating us and maybe you know there's a book by a Conrad Bars called Born Only Once and, and he speaks about the need for all of us to be born again so to speak we're born once biologically right if we're alive we've been born once biologically but then there's this other birth that has to happen that's psychological and emotional and spiritual. And that can only really be brought about through genuine affirmation. Genuine affirmation. Somebody looking into your eyes like, you know, you are the apple of their eye, right? And lighting up when they see you. Lighting up when they see you. And that allows us to be born and to flourish and to thrive. So undoubtedly, that didn't always happen the way God intended it to happen, right? And that's, that's where sin comes in. Not just our sin, right? But the sin of those around us, the sin of the world, original sin. 
So yes, <laughs> right? Life is, is, is painful and, and, and there's suffering. We all have felt that to one degree or another. But that was never God's intention for his people. God never intended for there to be sin and death and suffering. That was not a part of his original plan. We have to remember that. So, you know, we can never blame God for the bad things that happened to us. And when we're older, we get a little perspective on that. But when we're younger, when we're younger, we just don't have the capacity to make sense of the chaos that's going on around us. And so we try to come up with a story, and usually we're the ones to blame. <laughs> when things go wrong, kids blame themselves. It's what they do. Right? Because they see their parents and authority figures as godlike. And so that's where these lies, these identity lies, start to work their way in when we're young. And that's why we need to go to the word of God to renew our mind. And we need to ask God to help us experience this, this truth, not just in our minds, but in our hearts and in our imaginations. That's why it's important to pray with the imagination. St. Ignatius was really big on engaging your imagination because then it's in our mind's eye, it's in our imagination that we can picture Jesus looking at us and Mary and Joseph and the angels and the saints. And today, if you want, you can even have a conversation with the Samaritan woman. Maybe you've never had a, a conversation with her. But in spirit, you know, you can have a conversation with her. Sit down next to her at the well. Ask her about her life, her, her five husbands and this sixth man. That, right? So even that is symbolic, right? Six, right? Six is the number of disorder and imperfection in the, in the scriptures, right? So if anybody was imperfect and in a mess, it was her. She's the poster child for dysfunction, right? And yet, Jesus went right to her. Right? So maybe it would help to have a conversation with her. And, you know, Jesus right there with you. But get to know her. And then maybe you want to run down with her into the town and hang out with her for, you know, a couple hours in Samaria and just... And then, and then you just... You know, you go back to Jesus and the way that he looks at you. The way that he looks at you. And so ask Holy Spirit to help you to see that and to experience that for yourself. And sometimes it helps just to remember any positive, pleasant experience that you've had with God. And it doesn't even have to be with God per se. But even just to remember a pleasant memory that, that really felt like a blessing to you. Sometimes that's a good way to start 
your prayer time. It's just to call to mind a pleasant memory that felt like a blessing. And I'm intentional about that word, felt like a blessing, right? Because so oftentimes in our prayer, we're in our heads. So we need to ask God to help us get in touch with our hearts. A question that revolutionized my prayer was this prayer leader who would ask the question, what feels true to you in this memory? What feels true to you about God? think what feels true to me about God what what who cares what feels true like I know what's true about God you know but in my spiritual direction course this second course that I had this year um, they said no it's true that we all have this intellectual image of God and then we have this experiential image of God and there's usually a pretty big gap between the two right so we can ask God this week and throughout the rest of our lives, right, to close the gap. You know, and I, and I trust most of you have a pretty good, you know, doctrinal image of God. You know, you've got your divine mercy devotions and, you know, adoration and the saints and Mother Mary. And so doctrinally, you've got a good image of God. But experientially, what has felt true to you? And that's because the doctrinal beliefs, this guy with this one ministry leader, he calls them pseudo-beliefs. So when push comes to shove, you really don't believe them. You have this intellectual assent. But then when push comes to shove, or when we get you know triggered, when we are all of a sudden under stress... What do we do? You know? Because anytime we lose our, you know, anytime we get angry, anytime, you know, we just fly off the handle or lose it or whatever, okay, well, there's, there's a gap there. There's a gap there. And that's, that's for all of us, right? Father Jason included, right? We all have gaps, Sin does that to us. And we're just asking God, help me to be aware of those things. And instead of just confessing the sin, because we can all do that. But if we think that God wants us to live like that, that's not who God is. right? This recreation is meant to happen here and now. That's why he came. It's why Jesus became a man to help this recreative process begin this side of heaven. You've heard me say this, you know, the goal of our Christian lives is not to get to heaven. It's not the goal. The goal is to become like Jesus. The goal is to be transformed. And that's supposed to start now. We don't have to get to heaven, as I like to say, right? Because what happens at every mass? Heaven comes down to earth. It comes into your belly, right? You don't have to get to heaven. Heaven comes to you. Why? To transform you. 
to transform you. Into what? Into love. Into love. Because God is love. This communion, this perfect communion of love. But sin gets in the way. Our sin and other people's sin has gotten in the way and disrupted that. And so Jesus is our savior. He's our healer. He's our divine physician. He's our good shepherd. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he replaces that sin with his love, his body, blood, soul, and divinity, his Holy Spirit. Here, a little encouragement, okay? This is from Sacred Story Affirmations, so it's a, it's a companion to this 40 Weeks book. So it's Father Watson. St. Ignatius was spiritually illiterate for the first 30 years of life. So that's consoling, right? (laughs) His conversion was an awakening to his authentic character, his spiritual being. As he awakened, he exclaimed, what is this new life we are living? Indeed, it was a new life because he was beginning to glimpse life as a whole. We are all called to conversion and awakening, as was St. Ignatius. It is imperative that we awaken, for God lives and is present to us in the eternal now. Today is the time to wake from sleep, Romans 13, 11. We can find God in love only in the present moment. Let the awesomeness of this truth create wonder in your heart. Ponder its meaning. Give thanks. Pray to stay awake. Pray to cultivate an attentive heart. Pray for continued mind-heart awakening. Pray that Christ's spirit illuminate all your thoughts, words, and deeds. Awaken to creation, presence, memory, mercy, and eternity. I think it was Mother Angelica talked about the sacrament of the present moment. The sacrament. What does that mean? Just as Father Bill was saying, That God is here now, in this moment, here now, today. God is present. So when we talk about presence, we're talking about cultivating that awareness of the present moment. That awareness of God's presence in the present moment. So that we're not living in the past and so that we're not, you know, we're not lamenting the past and we're not worried about the future. And if you think about it, isn't that what the devil always tries to do to you? If he's not having you lament the past, he's having you worry about the future and he's just pulling you apart. You ever feel like that? And so you're all stretched out and you can't possibly enjoy the present moment. It's impossible, right? You ever feel like that? Yeah, all the time, Father. Yeah. 
Right? So we're, we're asking today for, for this grace of presence, to be present to the God who's loving me right now, who's wanting to take care of me right now, who's wanting to affirm me right now, who's wanting to comfort me and console me and encourage me and reassure me right now, who's got my back right now. But what happens is, is so many of these past events that have happened to us haven't been processed. We haven't really assimilated them into our sacred story. And we all tend to cope and survive in different ways. If you, you know, if you look at the, the second to last page there, <clears throat> that's what this sheet is all about. The ways we get wounded and then the ways that we cope and survive. And, and again, we tend to focus on the things that are very evident all that bad fruit and the seven deadly sins and so on. But there's so much more to the story. So God just doesn't want to keep forgiving us because what happens if you just pull the, the bad fruit off the tree but we don't heal the roots, the bad fruit grows back, right? And it'll just keep growing back. So that's why we have to let the divine physician take out his scalpel and, you know, kind of cut in there a little bit, right? And, 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 and get in to the heart of the matter. I like to call it compassionate curiosity. Compassionate curiosity. And that's where we learn to be kind and gentle to ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, sometimes a part of this process, I like to call it the cry of the heart. And inevitably, as we get hurt, the cries of our hearts get silenced. The legitimate cries for, for good things, the desires that we have, the good desires that we have, they get silenced. Because as my dad used to say, I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid. So if I keep looking for love in the right places, but I keep getting met with rejection or God knows what else, shame, abuse, ridicule, well, after a while, I'm not going to go there anymore. And what's going to happen to the cry of my heart? It's going to get squashed. It's going to get silenced. It's going to get repressed. So part of this healing process is really a resurrection. 
It's a resurrection. So this is the beautiful thing about the Christian life. The whole Paschal mystery, passion, death, and resurrection, and glory. It's meant to be lived out in us over and over and over again. So what Christ did for us was give us a pattern of redemption and and sanctification, of healing, of glory, whatever you want to call it. It It all works. It's all valid. But we have to then, in faith, in faith, again, without faith, none of this makes any sense. But in faith, allow the Holy Spirit to apply that whole Paschal mystery to each and every one of our wounds, to all of our stories. And that's what makes them holy, sacred, redemptive. In a sense, we have to learn how to let or allow God to love us. In those places that we thought were unlovable, that we're not proud of, or that we think are weak or despicable or shameful or embarrassing. But to be human is to be needy. Most of you have given birth and raised babies and we all were babies ourselves but to be human is to be needy necessarily even though we resist that we all tend to resist that but if you recall last night's dinner conference on the little flower that was the genius of her little way She learned to to lean in, to press in to her neediness. And then she just had this great confidence, boldness in God's mercy and providence. And so that gets Jesus excited. You know, he's always going to be patient always. And he's going to meet you where you're at. He's going to go at your pace. But he gets excited when we give him an opportunity to to heal us, to, to touch us. To pour some healing balm on our wounds and and to resurrect us. To resurrect us. You know, just as he called to Lazarus, you know, his friend, come out, right? Let him call you by name today. You know, Jason, come out. Wow, oh, wow. Come into the light. Come into the light. And that's freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we ask you, Lord, 
for this grace to be aware of your presence, your kind, loving presence in every present moment, right here, right now. Help us to pray today. Help us to take advantage of this present moment to be aware of what we need. God, help me to to be aware of what I really need, of what I'm really longing for, because maybe it's been so long since I've given myself permission to express to you what I really need and what I really want. Help me to know that you want to apply your passion, death, and resurrection to my life. That you want to be my friend. That you want to show me love. And that I can ask for that. It's not selfish. I don't have to be afraid to ask for what I need. So, Lord, may your perfect love for me drive away all fear and start to peel back the layers and start to bring your your light and your love into wherever there may be darkness and pain and sorrow in my heart, in my mind, in my body. Deliver me from that. And help me to look at the, the Samaritan woman today. Help me to, to befriend her in a spiritual way today that will be life-giving for me and that will be reassuring to me. Let's close by praying together. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be world without end. Amen.